According to recent surveys we mentioned last week, the majority of Americans profess a belief in God, uh, yet the belief doesn't seem to impact the way that we live our life. And uh, so as you think about this, as a result, many questions are raised as to the existence of God. And those who doubt the existence of God oftentimes use the hypocrisy of so-called believers to support their argument. If you believe in God and you do the things that you do, how does that support your belief in the existence of God? And so they use that argument really many times against us, and it's a very valid argument. And uh, those who doubt the existence of God are, uh, doubt so because of the hypocrisy of so-called believers. They doubt it as they look at the world around us, and they see that there's questions as far as how can a loving, uh, all-powerful being, how could that particular being allow such evil to exist in the world? You know, how could uh, that being allow the innocent, by their definition, to die young or to suffer in their life? Why do the good tend to die young? You know, and you go through all these questions, and, and why does the good tend to go unrewarded? And, you know, all these things are very reasonable questions, and they're questions that, you know, by every, by every right deserve to be answered. And so as we take a look at this question, does God really exist, we need to ask ourselves... How do we prove, if we believe in the existence of God, how do we prove that God exists? What evidence do we have or facts do we have that can prove the existence of God to a person that's not sure whether God exists or not? Is it just a matter of faith? And if it's faith, is it blind faith with no facts to support it? Or is it a faith that's a faith based upon a foundation of facts that can support our argument. Does God really exist? And I think that w as we take a look at this, that there are six facts that I know personally in my life, six facts that I'm aware of that lead to my belief in the existence of God. Five of them are very objective. One is highly subjective, and we'll take a look at that. But we started to look at these six facts last time when we saw the very first one. Fact number one, how do I know that God exists? For the person that, comes, that I come in contact with in my life that's not sure that God exists, that has all the questions that we just discussed, how could God, if he exists, allow all these things to happen? What's the purpose of life? What's going on around us? How do we know that he exists if he does? The first thing that we saw was the material universe. The first argument that supports my belief in God is that you have to explain one way or the other how did everything that you see around you come into existence. If you look around you and you look at the planet that we live on, uh, you, look at the, you look at water, you look at the sky, you look at the sun, you look at the stars, you look at the planets, you look at everything that you see, you look at trees, you look at animals, everything around you, the thing you've got to ask that person is, okay, look, if you do not believe in the existence of God or you're not sure whether God exists, can you explain to me where did all this stuff come from? Where did it come from? And there are basically only two belief systems, if you stop and think about it, and, and it really boils down to two things. And the, and the Orange County Register this past week had it very succinctly on the front page. It was September 22nd. Here's the, art, the two front page main articles of the Orange County Register. It was uh, this past week was a day of student prayer gathering around the flagpoles. On the front page of the Orange County Register, they had an article of student prayer circling the pole, religion with the spirit of a high school club, hundreds gather around flagpoles at their schools to pray. Well, to pray to who? Well, obviously, to pray to God. 
There are people in this world who believe that there is a God who they can talk to, communicate with, we call it prayer, that you can pray that that God will hear your prayers and actually is concerned enough to respond to those prayers, to be involved in our lives. That was one article, and directly below it was the other school of thought. Fossils reveal oldest of human ancestors. Okay? Fossils of the oldest known human ancestors have been found in Ethiopia where these ape-like creatures lived 4.4 million years ago on a forested floodplain. Not only do they represent an entirely new species, a scientist said, but they also may well be the long-sought relatives who lived close to the fateful time when the lineages leading to modern apes and homo sapiens went their separate ways. Now, I don't know if you ever, you know, I mean, do you ever read things and, and really pay attention to what's being said? There was a time... 4.4 million years ago, when apes decided to become people. (laughs) No, that's what it says. I'm I'm not making that up. I'm I'm reading what the scientist said. There was a day, one day, they were all gathered around, scratching each other, eating fleas off of one another. (laughs) One had a banana, another was scratching, the other was, you know, picking a flea off another one. And they said, you know what, this is a pretty crummy way to live. And so we decided, whoever, hey, if we're moving on. If you want to stay and you want to eat fleas and scratch yourself and sit around here, then you go ahead and stay. But we're moving on. We're moving in an upright position. <laughs> no, I'm, no, no, I mean, you laugh about it, right? But, I mean, this is, this is deadly serious. I mean, this is the stuff that's being taught in our schools. This is the science program that your children are being exposed to in public schools. We need to understand this because there's two schools of thought thought, or (laughs) as far as the existence of the material universe. It all boils down to these two thoughts. One is, is God real? And if he is, did he create the universe that we see around us? And if he didn't, where did it come from? And the other explanation is, it just happened to come around. All right? Now, this is, this, is, this is critical that we understand it because both of these are a belief system. Both of these are a religious system. And if you don't understand that evolution is a religious system, you don't know much about evolution. Both of them are based upon faith. And let me explain it to you. And let me allow the evolutionists to explain it in their own language and in their own way so it's not something that I am saying that they say, but I will quote to you exactly what they say. Professor Lewis T. Moore, one of the most vocal evolutionists, said this. The more one studies paleontology, which is the fossil record, the more certain one becomes that evolution is based upon faith alone. Professor D.M.S. Watson, famous evolution, made this remarkable observation that evolution itself is a theory universally accepted. He says this, not because evolution is accepted, not because it has been observed to occur or can be proved by logical, logically coherent evidence to be true, but because the only alternative, which is special creation, is clearly incredible. You follow what he's saying? What's the two choices we have? If we don't believe in evolution, we've got to believe in divine creation. And that's too incredible for me to believe, and I refuse to believe it. It doesn't matter what the evidence is, sir or ma'am. I'm going to believe what I want to believe because the option or alternative of what I would have to believe just cannot be fathomed, and I cannot put up with it. Dr. Arthur Frank, or Arthur Keith, is just as frank. He says this, evolution is unproved and unprovable. 
We believe it because the only alternative is special creation, which is unthinkable. Now, wouldn't that be interesting? What if the person who believed in God said, I believe in God because the alternative of evolution, I just couldn't put myself into a position to believe that. Would you gain an audience with anyone if that is how your approach went as far as explaining to them why you believe in the existence of God? If I told someone who said, you know what, I'm not really sure if God exists, why do you believe in God? And if I said, the only reason I believe in God is because the theory of evolution is so stupid, how credible would I be as a person that understood what I believed? They'd laugh in my face. I'd get up and say, this is ridiculous. Can, can somebody else explain to me what they believe? Because explaining to me what you don't believe doesn't explain to me what you do believe. True? Think about how important that is. We have to know what we believe, not what we don't believe. It's critical that we understand what we believe, and it's also critical that we understand what others believe so that we have a basis to communicate with them. What do you believe? Here's what I believe. Now, how do these two compare to one another? So as we go through this, you'll begin to understand it. Professor David Albrook, professor of anatomy, University of Western Australia, says that evolution, quote, is a time-honored scientific tenet of faith. Now, many people have been led to believe that evolution is a fact, and that is simply not so. Evolution is a theory. It's an idea. It's, 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 it's something that's an alternative to what the other idea is, and that is that there is a God who created the universe that we live in. And, and if you stop and think about it, Dr. Dwayne Gish, who's a noted biologist, says this, evolution is a fairy tale for adults. I like that. And the reason that I like it is, I mean, if you think about it, in Grimm's fairy tale, someone kisses a frog, and in a couple seconds it becomes a prince. Is that true? Well, in evolution, you know, someone kisses a frog, and in a couple million years it becomes a prince. I mean, what's the difference between the two? If you stop and think about what's, it's simply, that's not science. It's a faith. It's a belief system. We need to understand it for what it really is. So when we're talking about considering the existence of God, we've got to consider what are the alternatives. How did the universe come into being? Well, either it was created or it evolved. And even if it evolved, what did it evolve from and where did what it evolved from come from? We need to go back and ask the difficult questions. You know, it's really interesting if you stop and think about this. That, I mean, th this is the evolutionist. These are quotes. And basically what it tells me is that their hostility to God or the idea of God or a creator has closed their minds to the evidence that we will look at. Because as we consider the evidence, we will begin to understand that I believe in God because the facts, the evidence, support it. Not because evolution doesn't make any sense, which I think will demonstrate that there's, a lot of, that there's a lot of holes in what they believe, but not because that doesn't make any sense so I don't have any other choice, but I believe in God because it's the, 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 the wisest choice and it's reasonable and it's rational and it's based on facts. So we need to examine the evidence. And it's interesting as you look at this, not every scientist, contrary to what we read in the newspaper, believes in evolution. That's another lie that's out there. We would be led to believe that every scientist in the world believes in evolution, and that's simply not the case. There are some very respected scientists with well-documented credentials, and one of them was the past president of the Royal Surgeons of Great Britain, and he made this comment. Scripture is quite definite that God created the world, and I, for one, believe that to be a fact and not fiction. There is no evidence, scientific or otherwise, to support the theory 
of evolution. And so as we go through this, we need to recognize, you know, and it's very simple. When we keep it into simple conversational language, the question is this. If you do not believe in the existence of God, then how does everything that you see around you, how do you explain how it came into existence? That's all you got to, I mean, just that's all we got to discuss. I, for one, believe that God created it, and I'll demonstrate to you why. You do not believe that, so you can explain to me how you think it got here. And then we've got something to discuss. We've got something to talk about. We, we, we can find a common ground, and we can begin to develop a relationship based on that. And the reason that I believe that God created the material universe is because I'm going to ask you this question. From an evolutionist point of view, or if you believe that things just evolved or they just happened, does the universe that we live in, does it, does it look to you as if it was random, or does it look to you as if there's some type of design and order to it? Is it structured? Or does it look like it's out of control and things are just haphazardly happening on, on a random basis? And that's the second argument that I would use and the second thing that convinces me that God exists. And that is not only do we see a material universe, but we also can see that the universe that we live in has design and it has order. It is not chaotic. It is not haphazard. It is not random. It has very, a very intricate design and a very intricate order if you stop, if you stop and look at it. Mathematical design, laws of gravity, thermodynamics, physics, all the laws that we look at and we recognize, they are not haphazard, they are not random, they are very meticulous and they are ordered and they are structured and there's a purpose and a plan behind all of it. And so as we look at all this, you know what, there's no branch of science, for instance, that looks at a greater part of the universe than astronomers do. And do you realize that 90% of astronomers in the world today profess a belief in God as a creator of the universe? That's important to understand. That's more people by percentage than anybody in construction or certainly any attorney. Um, but, but it's more people by, by percentage than, than anybody else that you can think of. These are people that study the universe and try to figure out how it came about. 90% of them say, I am convinced that it is designed and created by someone greater than us. That's important to understand. The design and the order of the universe. I mean, Pierre de Laplace, one of the greatest astronomers at all time, said this, that the proof in favor of an intelligent God as the author of creation stood as infinity to unity against any other hypothesis of ultimate causation. That it was infin infinitely... Here's, a, here's, a, here's how he can, um, uh, compares this. He said, you know what? It is infinitely more probable that a set of writing implements thrown against the parchment would produce Homer's Iliad than that creation was originated by any other cause than God. From a probability standpoint, he said, you know what, it would be, it would be more probable just to throw pins up against the wall and it would produce the Iliad, Homer's Iliad than it is that, that the universe just came about on its own. He said it's ridiculous to even think of it that way. And if you stop and think about it, let me give you some arguments that you can use. First one's called a cosmological argument. It's a word that we get our term cosmetics from. And if you've ever seen someone organize and arrange their cosmetics, you realize that the term is organization. Cosmetics means to be organized in a, in a particular manner or way. The cosmological argument for the existence of God is very simple. Look around and doesn't it appear that everything is organized to you? Is there organization? If you look at physics and you look at you know, astronomy and chemistry and, and psychology and physiology and mathematics, I mean, does it look to you as if things are organized? Absolutely. 
That's one that you look at. Another is a teleological argument, which means is there an end to everything that we see as far as is there a purpose or a design to all of it? You know, atheists and evolutionists will say, I hate the word teleological because it means that there's purpose and there's structure and there's design, and we can't believe that. We have to believe everything just happened randomly and it's continuing to happen randomly because if there's design and structure and organization, that means that somebody or something had to organize all of it. And we would rather believe that it's just kind of happening. And that's, you know, a false argument because just, I mean, the rational human being can look around and say, you know what, there's too much structure, there's too much order to the world that we live in. Stop and think about these things. Consider these things. These, and, and as I, I was reading through these and I was picking them out one at a time, I was just I was blown away by it. Think about the mass and the size of our planet. Those who study the planet say that if our planet, the planet Earth, was 10% smaller or 10% bigger, that it would not support human life. 10%. If it was 10% smaller or bigger, it wouldn't support human life as we know it. Those who study such things say, you know what, there is no other planet in the universe whose axis is tilted at 23 degrees. As they study the other planets and they look at them, you know what they, the, the astronomers say? There is not another planet in the universe whose axis is tilted at 23 degrees. You say, well, why is it tilted at 23 degrees? Because at 23 degrees, it allows just enough sunlight, it allows just enough heat, it allows just enough uh, uh, change of seasons to support life as we know it on the planet Earth. If somehow, somewhere along the line, it was just tilted one degree one way or the other, it would be the end of, of all existence of life on the planet Earth. Those who study these things are blown away by that. Why is the planet Earth, of every planet in our solar system, the only planet that is tilted at 23 degrees? The evolutionists will say, aren't we lucky it just happened that way? <laughs> I'm serious. What, there's no other explanation that they have. You go through it. What about the moon? This is fascinating. Many people don't realize without the moon, it'd be impossible to live on Earth. The moon, because of the, if, if, if anyone was ever able to succeed in deflecting the moon from its orbit, all life on the planet would cease as we know it. That'd be the end of it. And the reason for it's simple. That the moon, the moon is a maid. It cleans up the oceans and the shores of all of our continents. Without the tides created by the moon, all our harbors and shores would become one big stench pool of grudge. I mean, of garbage and grunge, and you, you couldn't live anywhere near it. Because of the tides, continuous waves break upon the shores of the ocean. It aerates the oceans of the planet and provides oxygen for plankton, which is the basic and the foundation of our very food chain of our planet. Without the plankton, there would be no oxygen, and man wouldn't be able to live upon the earth. And God has made the, right, the moon in the right size and put it in the right place so it's able to accomplish and perform all these feats. The evolutionists say it just happened to happen that way, and boy, aren't we lucky that it did. What about the atmosphere? Those who study it say, you know what? We live under a great ocean of air. It's the only atmosphere in the universe that's known to man. 78% nitrogen, 21% oxygen, and 1% is made up of almost a dozen other different trace elements. They're all mixed together, and there's no other planet or part of the universe that has the same ingredients and the same composition in the world. In the universe... I mean, this is incredible when you get down to it. The elements aren't even chemically combined, but they're continually mixed mechanically by the tidal effect of the moon upon the atmosphere. 
It's fascinating. And even though man dumps a tremendous amount of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, this is all absorbed into the ocean and man is able to continue to live on the planet. If the atmosphere weren't as thick as it was, it would be crushed by a billion pieces of cosmic junk and debris that, and meteorites that fall continually upon our planet. This is fascinating. Nitrogen cycle. Nitrogen, extremely inert. Without it, everything would be poisoned in the universe. Because of its inertness, it's impossible for us to get it to combine with anything else. And we need nitrogen for things to grow in the soil. And you know how nitrogen is replaced in the soil? It's called lightning. This is fascinating. 100,000 lightning bolts strike the planet Earth daily, creating 100 million tons of usable nitrogen plant food in the soil every year. This happens that way. We sure are lucky. <laughs> and, you know, you just go through and you start thinking the ozone and, and, the, and even the core of our planet is molten lava that forms the core of our planet. Molten lava. You go through it and then you think about water. Let me just read a couple of things about water that's incredible. Water, there's nowhere else in the universe that you can find water in any abundance except for here on the planet Earth. It dissolves almost everything upon the earth except those things which are life-sustaining. It exists as ice. It breaks up rocks. It produces soil. As snow, it stores up water in valleys. As rain, it waters and cleanses the earth. As vapor, it provides moisture for much of the arable land of this earth. It exists as a cloud cover in just the right amount. And if we had clouds like Venus, earth couldn't exist. But at any given moment, exactly 50% of the surface of the earth is covered by clouds at any one time, allowing just the right amount of sunlight to come through. As steam, it runs powerful machinery that we have here on earth. And the amazing thing is, other than bismuth, it's the only liquid that's heavier at 4 degrees centigrade than it is when it's freezing. Now, stop and think about this. If it was any other composition and water froze, and it froze from the bottom up, what would happen to all the life? underneath it would be killed if if water froze from the bottom up fish would die plant life would be killed everything as we know it would die but it doesn't freeze that way it freezes from the top down so that it can support all of the life underneath it boy it's a good thing that it worked that out on its own <laughs> you know I, I guess I mean what, what what's you know what needs to be said? Does the world that we live in seem to you to be random and chaotic? Or does it seem to be well-designed and organized and have a purpose and a plan behind all of it? See, why do you believe in God? I believe in God because the material universe that we live in demonstrates to me that there has to be a cause and the effect is what we see. Is it random? Is it chaotic? Is it structured? Or, or is it organized? And I, I believe that just these facts alone, without getting into it very intricately or, or, or spending a lot of time on it, indicate, you know what, there's purpose and design to the world that we live in. The order and the design of the universe indicates to me that there is a creator. Now, if you say you don't believe in God, explain to me why not. Explain to me what we just discussed. Why is the earth at 23 degrees? What, 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 why is the earth the size that it is? Why is the moon in the position that it is? Why is water the way that it is? Why do pens fly across the room when you get all excited? I mean, explain to me. It just happens that way. You know, no, there's a cause and there's effect. There's a person that throws it across the room. I mean, these are the things that happen. What else indicates the existence of God? How about man? 
If the stars and the sky and the earth and, and the water and all the things we discussed doesn't make you consider the existence of God, then please explain to me where did man come from? Where did man come from? Well, we already know what the evolution says. Evolutionist says. Man decided in this particular article, and this changes on a regular basis, by the way, and not only that, but you'll find that you'll see articles like this in the front page of every newspaper. It comes out periodically, and when they discover how foolish and how wrong it was, you'll never see a retraction. You'll never see it in the front page again. It's amazing to me. I, I mean, I've been looking at this for years, watching every article on evolution that hits the front page of the paper, and when it's discredited, I never see another front page article saying, you know what, that article we ran 10 years ago was pretty stupid, as it turns out. Never see that happen. But we have the answer from evolutionists, and they say 4.4 million years ago, these monkeys got together, formed a committee, discussed, you know, the pros and cons of humanhood, and uh, some liked it, some didn't. That's where man came from, from a monkey committee. <laughs> you know, I, what's the two choices? Either man was created or man evolved. Those are the two choices. You know, it's fascinating about me, the whole idea as far as man being created is that we have the ability to reason and ask ourselves the question that I think every human being asks themselves this, where did I come from? Why am I here? And where am I going? Now, when was the last time you sat around and talked to your dog about that? <laughs> when was the last time your fish, you know, wrote you a little note? How did I get here? Why am I here? And where am I planning on going? Because I keep going through this little castle here, and uh, I don't seem to be getting anywhere. You know, when was the last time Lassie stopped and said to Timmy, hey, you know what, I've reasoned this out, and it's time that you go fetch that newspaper. Right? I mean, see, the, the ability to reason, the ability to ask the question, who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? The ability to ask that question sets us apart from everything else that's been created in the universe. There is something drastically and dramatically different about human beings than about everything else that you'll see. The ability to reason is a tremendous argument for the support that there is a God who created us in His image and His likeness and He created us to have a relationship with Him. That you can even ask, does God exist? Is a heavy, heavy argument in the favor of divine creation. It's amazing to me, the ability to reason. But there are so many other things, too. I mean, you just take a course in human anatomy. Ask yourself the question, is blood amazing? It's incredible. It's, it's a cell that gives up its nucleus so that it'll have more oxygen so they can carry it throughout your body. I mean, you go down through it. What about the human eye? Let me just take one thing. And you tell the evolutionist to explain to you the human eye. Okay? The human eye. If you look at it, you ask the evolutionist, tell me how this happened. See, an evolutionist will tell us that where there is a want, nature will provide what is needed. Now stop and think about this. The evolutionists tell you where there is a want, 
nature will provide what is needed. That's why they have the saying that nature abhors a vacuum. So, somewhere along the line, no one could see anything, whether it was the monkey or whatever. Somewhere along the line, no one could see. There was a need or a want to see. All right? You following this? (laughs) So, the eye came into existence because of that need or want to see. Now, explain to me reasonably how if you've never seen anything and you don't know anything about seeing or sight, how you could know that you needed to see. Now, is this, I mean, this, this ain't over your head now, I hope, is it? <laughs> this is simple stuff. You can communicate this with anybody. Stop and think about it. Okay, you say there was a need, and the need was to see, and because there was that want or need, the eye came into being. All right? Okay, and, the, and you believe that. All right, well, here we go. Dr. William Paley, who wrote a classic work, it's entitled Natural Theology, he discusses the eye. This is what he says. In order to keep the eye moist and clean, which qualities are necessary to its brightness and its use, a wash is constantly supplied by secretion for the purpose, and the brine is conveyed to the nose through a perforation in the bone as large as a goose quill. When once the fluid has entered the nose, it spreads itself upon the inside of the nostril and is evaporated by the current of warm air, which in the course of respiration is continually passing over it. It is easily perceived that the eye must want moisture, but could, want, could, but could the want of the eye generate the gland which produces the tear or bore the hole by which it is discharged, a hole through a bone. It says, my problem is I've never had the atheist or evolutionist tell us who bored the hole in the bone or laid a water pipe through it for the dispersion of our tears. Dr. Charles Scott Sherrington, English physiologist of Oxford, wrote this classic work on the eye. He said, Behind the intricate mechanism of the human eye lie breathtaking glimpses of a master plan. When confronted with darkness, the human eye increases its ability to see 100,000 times. The finest camera ever made doesn't even vaguely approach such a thing, but the human eye does it automatically. Furthermore, the eye will find the object it wants to see and focus upon it automatically. It will elongate or compress itself. Both eyes moving together must take different angles to fix themselves upon what is to be seen. When the eye got ready to create itself, it also had the forethought of its own protection and built itself beneath the bony ridge of the brow and also provided a nose on which to hang the glasses that most of us eventually need. (laughs) Then... It provided a shutter to protect itself from any foreign object. That's the human eye. Remarkable that it just happened to come about the way that we know it today. But see, those who study such things are far far away convinced that there is a design and that there's a creator behind all of it who had every need of ours in his mind when he created it. Let the evolutionists explain the details of the human eye. Let the evolutionists explain to you the details of the human mind. The, the mind, it's un, I mean, weighing 3.3 pounds, it performs what 500 tons of electrical and electronic equipment cannot do. 
this, it's interesting, this guy, this is a classic quote. It says, containing 10 to 15 billion neurons, each a living unit in itself, it performs feats that absolutely boggle the mind. <laughs> well, he, well, he makes, he makes a point. I mean, the mind is, is an incredible thing. And somehow or another, that monkey committee, they already had the eye thing worked out, decided to go for the bigger brain. See, you know, how many of you have witnessed the birth of a child? Oh, this is good. I mean, now, stop and think about this. Is it the most amazing thing that you ever saw? I mean, it's, it's, I mean the, the first time that I saw one of our children born, it was like, you know, and I'm not, I'm not really into the, you know, video camera and stuff and let's show everybody, but, you know... <laughs> I mean, I don't even like show slides of like, you know, the Eiffel Tower, yet alone my wife in such an interesting position. But, <laughs> but when you think about, when you think about the birth of a child, it's the most incredible thing. And I don't know anybody that could witness the birth of a child and say to themselves, man, isn't this amazing how this just all happened to work out this way? I mean, I mean, it's ludicrous. But what's the option? The option is that there's a creator. There's a God who made us. There's a God who we're accountable to. There's a God who has a purpose and a plan and a design for us as human beings. There's a God who we must answer to one day. And that, my friends, to many people, is just incredible to believe. The implications of a God are what keep them from wanting to examine the facts more closely because they frankly just don't want to believe the evidence. See, as we look at all this thing, and we look at what we're talking about, the nature of man, the order, design of the universe, the material universe in itself, you know what? It's blind faith that causes the evolutionist to begin with nothing and produce something as marvelous and as complex as the material universe and the nature of man. It's blind faith. It's not supported by the evidence. It's not supported by the facts. But for those who believe in God, we can say that our faith rests upon something that's concrete, that's, that, that is evidence, that is documented. And you can ask those questions. Explain to me where the universe came from. Explain to me why as intricately as it is. Explain to me where man came from. And as you go through this and you understand all of these things, the question that I have for the person that, that gives you the comparative, anal- the, the comparative anatomy argument, that's this one. Have you ever heard someone say this? Well, anyone can see that man looks a lot like a monkey. Have you ever heard anyone say that? I mean, because, I mean, you got fingers and, you know, and, it, and it's got, you know, it looks like, I mean, I've heard people say this. I mean, and then they show you the progression, the, the charts, you know, and they always show this in the paper. They show the, the you know, the monkey that is doing, you know, you know, you know the one. They're, they're down here like this and then they go like this and they go like this and then they're going like this and then they got a suit and they got a briefcase. They, they show that. No, they do. They show that all the time. You know, and, and, and they, you know, don't they? I mean, you've seen that. And you look at that and go, but the only thing that bothers me about all this, is ask them this question. Now, if you're a monkey, and you have a choice to be a human being or a monkey, why would one want to be a monkey? Stop and think about that. Why did some remain monkeys? And others did not remain monkeys. So like the top 10% of the class? 
And, and, if, and, if, you know, and if you're a monkey today, why don't you just say, I'm tired of monkeying around and I want to be a human being? I mean, ask the simple questions. If you were a monkey, why would you want to keep being a monkey? I See, I don't understand stuff like that. But I just ask the question. And if a person says that's what they believe in, I think we can challenge them to consider what they say they believe. Or comparative anatomy. Well, you know, you know, by the same reasoning, this is what I figured out. Do you know where BMWs come from? What? From Chevy Geos. It has to be. It does. It has to be. I figured it out. You know, so buy yourself a Chevy Geo. Talk to it. Convince it it has a need for speed. And leather seats. And a car phone. You know, and a Nordstrom license plate thing. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and just convince it. And, and eventually, that Geo will become a BMW. Because it has a need for speed. And, I mean, and actually, and it looks the same. You know, it's got four wheels. You know, windshield wipers. You know, whatever else. See, that's what people are trying to convince us that we need to believe. And to me, that's insane. Oh, gosh, you know what? What are the other reasons or facts that we can consider concerning God's existence? Oh, I heard that little beeper go off. Well, I guess we'll just have to come back next time. But you compare your notes with my notes and see if the reasons that you don't believe in God are the same facts that we're discussing. Three facts. That's all we've looked at so far. Where did the material universe come from? Explain how it got here. If you don't believe in God, then you must believe in evolution. And then we, can, we, can, we have a place to discuss. We, at least a place to start. If you believe that it all just evolved, then how do you explain the order and the design of the universe as we see it around us? Explain to me the things that we just discussed. And not only that, but once we get beyond that, explain to me where man came from. Explain to me how man can reason and question and, and think and challenge, and even ask the question, does God really exist? Let's pray. Father, thanks for this opportunity again. We just thank you that you're our God, who's created us in your image and in your likeness, that you have a plan and a purpose behind everything that you do. Part of that plan, God, obviously, is to challenge us to think about where we've come from, why we're here, and where we're going. God, we just pray that you will give us the answers so that we can discuss in an intelligent way with the people around us who are skeptical as to your existence, that you will help us to understand and in a way be able to explain to them why we believe in you. And we just thank you for the evidence that you've given us, that you don't ask us to believe in you blindly, but you have throughout all of your creation indicated that you are there, that there is design that there is purpose, that there is order, that there is structure. And we just thank you that we can examine the evidence with the mind that you've given us to come to conclusions as to your existence. And we just thank you for that. Amen.